It's funny, we're starting a new series this morning, and um, we're going to be talking about God's grace in this series. And, you know, originally in my, in my mind, um, hey, we got a little, is there a little feedback going on? A little bassy echo. I wish my voice was that bassy. I don't think it is that booming on its own. Um, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, but, you know, my original thought was like, you know, you use the word amazing in the title somewhere, right? Amazing grace. And I mean, there's a reason that song is like the most well-known song ever, right? Amazing grace. Everybody knows it. Um, and yet, I realized if I, if I use that word, it's almost lost its power. Like we've, we just throw words. I mean, I'm guilty of like saying awesome all the time for everything. It's like, well, everything can't be awesome. <laughs> Not everything is awesome. Not everything is amazing. We throw these words around, they lose their meaning. You know, it's the same problem when I say I love my wife and I love this cheeseburger. Like I'm diminishing the word. You know, the weight that it's supposed to have, it loses it. And so, you know, I don't know if this is a good title or not, but I ended up settling on Startled by Grace. And my hope is that we just have a, a wake up to how amazing the grace of God is. His grace is available in my life. He, he has rescued and saved and redeemed me. He is currently daily in my life arriving with fresh grace to help me in my time of trouble that I didn't ask for, to rescue me from all the trouble that I definitely create, and to give me eternal hope. His grace is available. And I, I want to live amazed by that. I want to live amazed by that. I, I want to wake up fresh to that every day. And so that, that's my heart, is that we unpack this. It, it wouldn't just be in the realm of the familiar. Oh, okay, this is that thing we do where, you know, every so often we got we to gotta share the kind of well-known story of God's grace and just make sure people are hearing that again and check it off the list. No. I want to be surprised in a fresh way of how God's grace is available and operating in my life. I want to wake up to it. I want to wake up tomorrow. I want to wake up on a Monday morning excited at the possibility of what God's grace is going to look like in my life on a cold April Monday. Is it still going to be cold tomorrow? I guess I don't really know. It was cold this morning. Okay, so, so we're going to jump into this series on grace. And, and my, my hope is that we would all um, just find a fresh awakening to God's goodness and his grace in our lives. Um, at some points in this series, you know, we'll, we'll do some, some kind of unpacking of some New Testament scripture that sort of unravels some teaching on God's grace. Uh, we will look very specifically at the sacrificial love of Jesus and the work on the cross that makes grace available to us. Um, we'll look at the empowering nature of God's grace that's available to carry us through our everyday life. We'll, we'll look at all of those things. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to unpack the very first place in the Bible where the word grace shows up, where the word grace shows up. So I, I want to pray one more time, if for no other reason than just to prepare my own heart. And, and my hope is that an old familiar story would 
surprise us today. We'd be refreshed by it. We'd be encouraged by it. Maybe we'd even see an aspect of God's grace we haven't recognized before. And so the first appearance of the word grace in the Bible takes place in the life of Noah as the flood is coming. That's when the word grace first shows up. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into this this morning. God, would you wake us up? I can't even imagine what it was like when you had formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and then you breathed life into his lungs and that first breath that he took, God, it was your breath. I, don't, I can't imagine what that was like. God, I pray we would get a dose of that this morning. God, that we would breathe in, not just oxygen. We're grateful for it. Thank you for, for oxygen. But God, we would breathe in your life, your spirit. God, it's by your grace that we draw breath. It's by your grace that we're alive today. But God, I pray that we would become alive to your grace. We'd become awake to it. Refresh us with it. Surprise us with it this morning. Amaze us with your grace. God, thank you for Noah and his life and his heart for you. God, thank you for this crazy, mystical, mythical story filled with such life and hope and truth. God, even in the midst of, of the tragedy of a world that had fallen apart. God, would you speak to our hearts this morning? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I believe very strongly um, that there is a principle of the first appearance of a word or concept in the Bible, and that that first appearance ends up setting the tone of how that word is going to work throughout the rest of Scripture. It tends to give us a picture, a glimpse of what it means. And, and we see in some pretty amazing ways when a, when a word shows up in God's word, in a story, how it's already pointing to Jesus. I mean, it's phenomenal. For example, I'll give you one picture of this. It's not in our story this morning. But for example, the first time the word love shows up in the Bible, it's describing the love of a father for his only son whom he's being asked to sacrifice. In Genesis 22, when God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Now, we're not unpacking that story this morning. God's God's doing something bigger there. He doesn't ultimately ask him to sacrifice his son. God provides the lamb. But it's a glimpse. It's a picture. God's defining for us what love looks like. And he's saying, this is what my love for you is going to look like. I love my son, my only begotten son, Jesus. But I love you so much that I'm going to send the son that I love and he's going to be a sacrifice for you. I'm going to give my son whom I love. And he's going to give himself willingly. And so right in the early pages of God's word, it's already setting the tone for Jesus' sacrificial love for us. That's, that's a glimpse. That's a picture of what happens when we pay attention to the first time a word shows up. So with that in mind, we're going to pick up a, a chunk of the story. We're going to look at a handful of verses this morning. But I would encourage you, if you want to read through the entire story of Noah and the flood, it's found in Genesis chapter 6 and runs through chapter 9. 
gives kind of the full story from beginning to end. Um, but God is, God is looking at what's happened in the world. You know, he'd made Adam and Eve, and we've got their, their fall in the garden, and, and the first sin, and sin enters the world, and they have to leave the garden. You know, they'd enjoyed just living in this perfect paradise. The scripture tells us God would come and walk with them daily. They would spend time with him. Just, man, right there. I can't even imagine what that looked like, but they were able to walk with him. And mankind loses that. And so Adam and Eve go out into to the world to face it, and they're, they're hopeful of redemption. And Eve was told, through your seed, a, a man will come that will crush the serpent's head. Your, your victory will be through, through uh, new birth. And so then Cain and Abel are born. And it says, like, when she looks at Cain, she's excited. Behold, God has given me a son, a man. She's thinking, there's my redemption. And then what happens? Cain kills his brother. The first, the first humans like us that were born into the world of sin, one killed the other. And so mankind begins to struggle along and there's glimpses of people who are still walking with the Lord, but, but man, it's a mess. You know, a chapter prior to the one we're going to look at, in the midst of this mess, um, Enoch, it says, walked with the Lord. How cool is that? Someone was still able to walk with the Lord even, even after the fall. And then we arrive at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6, and God is just surveying the scene. He says, man, it's broken. And so we're going to pick this up in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I just have to say, however dark our world may feel to us right now, however dark it may look at times, God's description of Noah's day was that every man, every woman, aside from Noah, this is what life looked like. All of their thoughts were bent towards evil continually. It's what was on their heart, in their mind. And it broke God's heart. Verse 6, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. You know, if we're not careful, when we just, when we read quickly through stories, when we when we look at things that happened in the scripture just at a glance, you know, some of the, the strongest moments in the Bible are the moments where, like the flood, like God's going to flood and destroy the earth. Or in later times when, when there's talk of the coming judgment. And, and I don't know what you picture when you think of judgment. But when, when God begins to look at the damage the havoc, the destruction that is wreaked on his people by sin and by wickedness, it breaks his heart. He's not sitting back angry and judgmental and ready to smite. He's devastated because the brokenness has already happened. The tragedy has already come. The world is broken here and it breaks his heart. And so it's, it's with that image. God is, God is seeing all that's transpired and he's broken over it. So he says, I, I got to start fresh. Verse seven. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals 
and creeping things and the birds of the heaven, for I'm sorry that I've made them. I'm so grateful for the word but in Scripture. But Noah found favor is what the ESV says. Several other translations would say grace there in the eyes of the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, the word for grace is, is either translated favor or grace, and you kind of see it throughout. And so this is the first time it shows up. Things are, are horrible. They're broken. The world's falling apart. The destruction that sin is causing in the lives of people, it's so entrenched that it's being passed on from generation to generation. It's so pervasive that there's, there's like almost no hope left. There's this one guy. Noah is the one faithful guy left. And the scripture says Noah found favor, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We're going to look at three things together this morning about grace. They're not the only three things about grace. But what we're going to look at this morning about grace is three principles that we see in this story. And the first is this. Grace is present. Grace is present. We could equally say God is present. Grace is present and available. I mean, think about this. Isn't it strange? Like if, if you were going to sit down with, with a friend of yours, maybe someone who didn't really understand or know about the grace of God, and, and you were going to think of a story to communicate God's grace to them, would you pick the story of the whole world being flooded in judgment to communicate that grace? I wouldn't. Like this, at first glance, this doesn't make any sense to me. Like why is the flood story the first place that the word grace shows up? I mean, what is a flood if it's not just God's wrath and judgment? What's happening here? I want you to consider a few things this morning. First of all, I realize we maybe all weren't together last Sunday for the sunrise service, um, and I won't rehash the whole thing, but, but one of the things that we talked about was the darkness and the chaos that was on the earth at creation. God created, and then it says the world was formless and void, and, and in fact, the imagery was water. The Spirit hovered over the deep. And so there was this element of chaos and disorder of mystery, and yet there was the opportunity for life to spring forth out of that darkness. And that chaos. That was something we talked about. Well, what's happening in mankind is they are devolving. Man has moved away from God, has rejected him, rejected the life that he communicates, the truth that he communicates. I mean, when God speaks, that's when things changed. Light shines into darkness. Out of disorder and chaos comes life and order. Things are good. And man has, has continually wandered and drifted away from him. And so things are desperate and broken. Man has already descended into a flood, if you will. Mankind has descended into chaos and disorder. So much so it's all they can even think about or imagine or long for is that which is broken and destructive and chaotic. And so, so God surveys this scene, and in the midst of that darkness, His grace is present in the life of Noah. I mean, have you ever felt just consumed and surrounded by darkness? Hurt by it? Frustrated by it? Whether you're seeing it 
in the world kind of out around you, big picture, or like specifically in your own life, like things are just, man, you feel like you're in a flood. You feel like life is in chaos and disarray and disorder. The, the first thing I want to say to you this morning is that grace is present even in the midst of that chaos and disorder. God wants to bring new life. And so it's, it's in the midst of this scene where everything is just, just a mess. And so God looks at that and he wants to cleanse it. And he wants to bring about a fresh start. And so the, the passage kind of, I want to I wanna just, I want us to see this really clearly, how bad things were before we move into the good news of grace. Because God, God attaches these two. He's being honest about the bad news of what's happening as he reminds us of his incredible grace that's available. And so again, reading verse 5, and then we're going to skip down to verses 11 and 12. This is again where God is describing the scripture is describing just the mess that man has made of the earth. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. See, it's easy for me to view the flood as this violent act. The earth was full of violence. Man was destroying each other. Verse 12, And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Chaos, disorder, destruction. And yet, not only is God's grace available, you know, when I, when I said grace is present, I meant it. Because in the midst of that scene, God still walks among us. Check this out. The very next verse, verse 9. After it says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, it says, these are the generations, or this is the story of Noah's life. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Can you imagine what he was surrounded by? And he held faithful, he held faithful to the Lord. Noah walked with God. In the midst of chaos, destruction, disorder, violence, all that, all that, that sin, the havoc that sin wants to wreak, on, wreak upon our lives, God is present. His grace is available. He still walks among us. This, this same truth still holds. The God who walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, who walked with Enoch, who walked with Noah, and on down the line, He wants to walk with you and I today. Now, this is good news on multiple levels, and we're going to unpack this a bit more in a minute, but I don't want to wait to get there. I just want to say right now, if the darkness and chaos is of your own making, God's available with grace. He's present. We can turn to Him. Or, or if I'm surrounded, if I'm stuck dealing with just the darkness and chaos of life that I didn't ask for, I didn't pick it, I didn't want these circumstances. I didn't want this difficulty in my family life. I, I wasn't looking for this. I wasn't asking for this. I, I just want to say to you, God's grace is present in the midst of your darkness. He's there. He's available. See, God, God's grace is not this inanimate thing that's apart from Him. It's not... 
I didn't really prepare for this, but I have a water bottle right here. So Alex, I'm going to hand you this water bottle. This, this is not how God's grace works. God's grace is not just a random object that he goes, here you go. Hope that helps you. His grace, I'm going to need that back because I'm thirsty for it. <laughs> his grace is in his presence. It's, he carries his grace with him. He brings grace into our darkness. And listen, the, the flood is worth wrestling with. I, I don't want to just, I, I don't have time to really wrestle through the whole thing together this morning. And the truth is, there's a little bit of a wrestling you've got to do yourself with the Lord, with the hard passages in Scripture. So I don't want to gloss over the fact that it's destructive. But I do want to say that God is, is present with grace and that what he is up to, his purpose in this story is to cleanse and bring new life. And you may need to wrestle through that with him on your own. But if I take him at his word, mankind was like gone. They were destroying each other. There was nothing but violence. And if he didn't intervene, Noah was only going to live so long and what legacy was going to be passed down. Now, I realize in the story that his sons and their wives and his wife are rescued. And I can't really unpack all that was going on in their hearts and lives. But what I can say to you is that the scripture does not say that Noah and his family and his sons and his daughters-in-law walked with the Lord. And the story doesn't say they all found grace and favor. It says Noah found grace and favor and he walked with the Lord. By all intents and purposes, Noah is like the last guy. And by God's grace, he sees him through the flood. So God is present. Grace is present in the midst of darkness. Number two, the second principle about grace. Grace speaks truth. It is by God's grace that he speaks to us about what is true, what is reality. I would encourage you, you can read through verses 13 through 21 where God unpacks the whole story for Noah. I mean, he lets him in on the whole thing. The world's a mess. I'm going to flood it. You're going to build an ark. These are the, this is the equipment you're going to use. This is how you're going to do it. This is who's going to be on the ark with you. I'm going to rescue mankind through you. I'm going to rescue my creatures. I'm going to bring animals to this boat. I'm going to bring water. It's going to come. And on the other side of that, there's a promise. I'm going to renew a covenant with you. I and mean, he unpacks this whole thing. Grace speaks truth. And so I just want to highlight a few things that grace communicated here. Number one, grace gives a warning. You know, one thing that we miss in this story, the, the same thing that is true in Noah's day is what's true through Jesus in our day. God warned them 120 years in advance. He numbered their days. And the New Testament even lets us know that Noah was like preaching to them as he was building the ark. Even in the midst of, of the judgment that was coming, God was making the grace available to any who would hear it. There's a boat and there is room for you. And so grace issues a warning. It speaks truth by giving a warning. Grace is patient. I just said it, right? It was a 120-year warning. There was plenty of opportunity for parents, grandparents, children 
Several generations got to hear this message of warning and of hope. Grace speaks truth. It gives a warning. It's patient. Not only that, here's what I think is really practical for us as believers that if we're not careful, we can lose sight of. You know, I I tend to think of grace as the thing that did save me. Grace is operating in day-to-day life. Grace spoke the truth by giving a warning. Grace also spoke the truth by giving instruction. God gave real practical guidance to Noah so he could be prepared. He told him not only how to build the ark and what materials to use and, and all of that, he told him how to pack. He told him what food to take that would sustain them through. So God gave instruction. Grace walked him through the process of preparing for the coming flood. Here's the other thing I love about this this story, what it unpacks about grace. Grace arranges the details and has power to do the things we can't do. I cannot wait. I'm hoping it's a movie I can watch. But at the very least, I want to hear Noah tell the story of when that moment was when the animals just started coming towards the ark. We we recently watched with the girls... um, uh, Evan Almighty. It was like, it's the Noah one. I don't know if y'all have ever seen that. I, I'm not sure if I should be endorsing that or not. I think it was pretty clean. Anyways, um, we, just, we just watched this movie. Where it was like a modern day Noah's Ark story. And it was kind of cool watching the animals all coming into the ark. It was kind of a neat visual. But I just, I wonder what that was like. But, but here's what I love about God and his grace. He asks us to do what part we can do. He gives us some instruction and direction, but then he does all kinds of things we can't possibly do. God said, I'll get those animals on the ark. And I'm the one that's actually going to sustain you through the flood. Now, I'm going to unpack this a little bit more next week, but I just want to drop this in here. Um, another first that shows up in the Bible during this story is the word atonement. Atonement. But you wouldn't see it in English. The word atonement in this story, atonement is like what Jesus did for us on our behalf. He covered us. He covered us. The word atonement in this story is translated as pitch. And what God told Noah to do was to seal, to cover the inside and the outside of the ark in pitch. God was going to fill all the holes that Noah couldn't fill. He was going to seal it. He was going to protect them through the coming flood by his grace. By his grace. What a cool picture of what Jesus does for us. He seals us. He covers us. We'll talk about that more next week. All right. And then finally, grace speaks promises. Grace speaks promises. So not only is grace kind of helping us through the immediate difficulty of the flood that we're facing, grace is saying, man, on the other side of that flood, something awesome is coming. If you'll just, if you'll trust me, if you'll hold on, if you'll lean lean on my grace in today, as you're facing today's flood, on the other side of that, there are good and precious promises that are available to you. God is a God who keeps his promises. I feel like we're living in a day where more and more it's hard to really take people at their word. (laughs) We're just talking about that. Um, But God is faithful to keep his word. And don't let man's unfaithfulness and inability to keep promises 
to distract us from the fact that God will be faithful to keep his promises. I mean, we, we don't even keep our marriage promises to one another anymore. But he's the faithful husband when we're the unfaithful bride. He promises and he keeps his promises and his promises are based on him and what he's going to do on our behalf. So grace speaks truth. It warns. It's patient. It prepares us. It carries us. It sustains us. It gives us future hope. Those are some of the things that grace speaks. Grace also speaks to the flood. I want to talk about a few different kinds of floods this morning. I'm going to break this down in kind of three ways. There's probably more. But grace speaks to us in the flood. First of all, um, there's the flood that's kind of our own fault. There's the floods that are of our own making, much like this one. The, The way mankind was living, it was bringing a flood with it. And I already mentioned, in a lot of ways, they were already experiencing the flood of chaos in their lives. These are the floods that you participate in creating the problem. Um, This might seem random, but I I hope this will connect. I hope this will make sense. Um, Just about a year ago, my wife and I celebrated our 15-year anniversary and had the privilege to go on a trip of a lifetime. Um, We got to go to Italy together for our anniversary. It was awesome. Kid-free. I mean... We could have gone to like the desert somewhere kid-free and I would have been thrilled. But we got to go to Italy. We got to go to Italy. It was great. One of my kids is in here. Love you, Ashley. (laughs) Um, It was a wonderful trip. We started in Venice. Now, what's interesting about Venice, this is a town that's built in a flood zone. It floods all the time. And one of the things that was fascinating when we were walking around Venice is everywhere you went, stacked up like on, on the side of the walkways, were these platforms. And they're the platforms that, I mean, everybody in town just knows how it works. And if it's going to rain a whole lot and the water's going to rise, they just set these platforms out. They're about this high or so off the regular ground. And then they can walk through town on the platforms. They all just flip over and connect to each other. And it's just like a raised sidewalk. It's like life just goes on. But uh, so I was kind of fascinated by just this town that's, that's built you know, on the water and experiences flooding. And so I was doing some digging about this. It's really interesting. Um, There's an environmental scientist living there now named DeMosto. I think I'm saying that right. And she points to a particular event that happened that changed the future, the course of the city. It was a flood that took place on November 4th, 1966. It was a flood beyond anything they'd ever experienced. They had kind of the normal stuff they would deal with, the high water. But they hadn't really prepared themselves for the inevitable big flood. And so it came, it was six feet, four inches above normal. I mean, it's covering the, like almost covering the doors completely. Like there's lines, in fact, in town where they painted like this is how high it came. But this gal looks at this story and and talks about the heavy rain, the severe wind, the crumbling infrastructure, all the things that prepared this city um, to be totally unprepared. They were totally unprepared. They weren't ready. The city was falling apart. The, The rains and the winds came. But she looks at this and says, Venice lives thanks to big disasters such as this. Because they caused the city to fundamentally change direction. They got real about the problem they were facing. These, we live here. 
We live in this place that is going to flood. And we've been contributing to the problem by not being prepared for it, not being honest with ourselves that it's coming. And so we've got to take measure measures, measures to prepare. And so they did, and they, they did all kinds of things to put a system into place for it to run off more easily. Um, I'm sure like even these platforms were part of that, but they, they came up with all of these strategies to be ready for the massive inevitable flood that'll come. They got their act together. They learned from the flood and they're better for it. There are floods in this life that we will face that we at least partially contributed in bringing on. But if we will recognize God's grace, that flood can become an opportunity in my life for growth, for change, to invite God's grace in to say, God, I... I want to be better prepared for this. I don't want to be caught unawares because I haven't been getting ready. And I definitely don't want to be participating in like digging the hole in the first place that the flood's going to come to. And so God's grace will come even in the floods that we've participated in creating. There's also floods that come that are no fault of our own. They're the inevitable this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5.45 when he says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on us all and the rain comes on us all. In a lot of ways, our life is like Venice. We, we live in a world that floods. We live in a place that is, is surrounded by that. And if, if I don't live consciously aware of that, if I'm unprepared for the inevitable... When disaster strikes, where am I at? Where am I at? You know, one thing that um, I discovered really quickly when I hit my 30s, in fact, it almost happened like on my 30th birthday, I, I realized that my body didn't work the way I wanted it to. See, I had just kind of hoped that I would lose weight, get stronger, and feel better with every passing year. And that, that is the dead opposite of what happens, right? I mean, if you just do nothing, if you just do nothing, it, it all falls apart. It all falls apart. I mean, I have to work just to maintain. In the span of like five years, I, I developed like allergies to things. Like one night we're with some friends and I eat a pecan that's like roasted and had some good stuff on it. I don't know what. The side of my mouth that I was chewing it on, my tongue blew up twice the size of the other side. I was like, why, why is my speech slurring? What's going on? Like, I couldn't talk, and I realized my tongue had swollen up. Six months later, I was on antibiotics or something. I'd taken penicillin my whole life. Suddenly, I was allergic to penicillin. My, this lip got so big, I, I can't even exaggerate it to you. Like, it was like hot dog size. I felt, this is super gross, I realized, but... I felt like if I just touched it, it was going to like explode. I mean, it was just bursting. And I was, this is in the middle of the night, I freaked out. I'm like rushing to the hospital. I've got splotches on my back. I'm like, man, I just turned 30. I'm like falling apart. What's going on? This is crazy. I played basketball my whole life. I'm playing basketball a few years after that. Nobody runs into me. I, nothing happens. I'm just running and I push off with my knee and it just gives out. And I blow out my ACL. I mean, I'm a mess. <laughs> I'm a mess. I'm in, my, I'm in my late 30s still. Our bodies just, they break down. They fall apart. It's inevitable. I woke up yesterday morning 
with a pimple right where my glasses sit. Like I've got the problems of puberty in my late 30s. Like what's going on? Now why, why am I talking about all this? I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to find a humorous way to talk about something that's not funny at all. Okay, we need to laugh a little bit. But the truth is, things in this life, they go down without any extra help. It takes a whole lot of effort just, just to maintain. But what, what I want to say to you is that a life filled with the grace of God prepares us for and sustains us through the inevitable floods of life that we, don't, we didn't ask for, we didn't deserve. It's just a part of this broken, fallen world. It's a part of it. But God's grace is there through it. And see, if I'm, not, if I'm not aware of his presence and his grace, if I'm not hearing him speak truth about how this world works, then when disaster strikes, not only do I not recognize his grace, often I do the full-blown opposite. I either completely turn away and run from him, or I angrily shake my fist at him. But he's saying, hey, if you've been listening to me all along, I'm telling you this world is broken and it's falling apart, but I'm working to redeem it and to cleanse it. And my grace is available in your life to repair the damage you cause and to help you through the things you didn't ask for. You didn't want your kid to go through that. You didn't ask to face that difficulty, that problem, that disease. You worked hard at that job that you lost for no good reason. Those inevitable storms of life that come raging in, God's grace is available to see us through them. Amen. And see, when, when, we, when we live life listening to the truth that grace speaks, and I live life realizing He's present and with me, not only do I make it through the floods of this life, I can face the flood. I can face the coming judgment unafraid. The truth is every single one of us are, are going to answer for the life that we live. And the grace of God is that I can say my life is hidden in his life. Yeah, I'm a mess. And man, there was plenty of chaos and darkness and floods in my life. But by the grace of my Savior, Jesus, I'm all right. I'm all right. He sustained me through this life and I enter the next life by his grace that has sustained me and the ultimate promise is fulfilled. Eternal life in Jesus Christ, my Lord, because of his saving grace. We'll unpack that particular aspect more as we go forward in this series. But, but see, the floods of this life and the grace of God that's available day to day in this life they, they point to and they prepare us for the ultimate, the ultimate flood. And in Jesus, we're good. By God's grace, we're good. We're forgiven. See, Jesus talked about this, you know, and, and I think you could make the case, I would make this case, that the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is doing more than giving us advice. I believe that he is telling us about how the world works and about how God operates in the midst of this broken world and the life of grace that's available to walk with him. I believe that's what's happening in the Sermon on the Mount. I don't think it's just this list of things I should try to do. God's telling me this is how the world works. Hey, guess what? Judgment happens. People judge you and you judge other people. So you should be careful what measure you use to judge. 
And you're going to get way more out of life if you focus on the big log in your own eye instead of judging everybody else. Things like that. He's talking about real things that happen. We get judged. People judge us. And I definitely way more emphasize what I see in other people's life than my own. I'm walking around like I've got the speck and they've got the log. And so, so Jesus is talking to us about how this life operates. And he, he finishes up everything that he says on the Sermon of the Mount. And he finishes it up talking about a flood. Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You know what is assured? Rain, floods, and wind beating on your house. It comes to the righteous and the unrighteous. But what Jesus says is if you'll listen to the truth that grace speaks, you'll be all right. You'll be planted firmly on the rock and you can make it through. If you don't, if you reject the truth that grace speaks, there's a great fall that will come and the flood will destroy. Grace speaks truth in order to help us prepare for the inevitable. But point number three, Grace doesn't just speak truth. Grace empowers us to live in that truth. Grace empowers us to do what we cannot do on our own. Grace is present. Grace speaks truth. And grace empowers. Look at this. Genesis chapter 6 again. This is, it's actually verses 17 and 18 and then verse 22. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But verse 18, I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Verse 22, Noah did this and he did all that God commanded. God said, here is what I am going to do. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to carry you. I'm going to sustain you through the coming flood. And Noah, if, if you'll trust me, I'm going to do this for you and for your whole family. I'm going to get you all through it. I'm bringing new life in the midst of this flood. I'm, I'm going to get you through it. I'm going to see you through it. I'm the one that's going to establish the covenant. Noah, will you trust in my grace? And it says that Noah did it. He did all that God commanded him. See, grace will empower us, but it requires a little bit of participation on our part. Like I, I lift, but God gives me the strength to do the lift. But I have to lift. God always connects our faith with his grace. There's a marriage between the two. And see, what faith does, faith allows us to believe in His grace, that it's there and available, and faith allows us to participate in it. I can take hold of it. I can receive it into my life. 
I can be the wise builder, not the foolish builder, because I'm receiving his grace that empowers me. See, Hebrews, the book of Hebrews lets us in on a little bit of a secret about Noah. Noah was a man who had received the grace of God and walked with God. He was a man of faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says this. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Anybody familiar with that verse? I don't know if we realize the verse it's connected to. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Faith participates with grace and we receive the power of God to make it through the floods and storms of this life. See, Paul would talk about this when he described the gospel this way. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. We're going to read verses 8 through 10. This might be a really familiar passage to you, but I hope you hear it in a fresh way this morning based on the story we've been reading. For by grace you have been saved through faith. The grace of God saved Noah through the flood. Through Noah's faith, he was able to participate in that process. And even that faith is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God gives us the ability to walk out what we're going to need to get through this life. He gives us the tools. He gives us the equipment. He gives us his presence. He speaks words of warning, words of advice. He guides us in life. And then he empowers us to do it. And he says, will you believe me? Will you take me at my word? And will you participate in this process? Will you watch my grace give you strength to see you through? That's what's available through Jesus Christ. We can walk through the storms and the floods of this life because of the power of God that's available. Did, did Noah have faith in God's grace? I want you to think about that. Did Noah have faith in God's grace? How, how would I know? How would I know he had faith? Did he listen to what God had to say? Did he act on what God had to say? Did he rest and rely upon what God had promised? I mean, think about that moment when like the ark's built, the animals are on board, and God says it's time to load up. And from that moment on, he was out of control. And he chooses to get into that ark and, and rest and trust that God was going to have him. I've been through some scary storms. We actually had to do a little bit of driving this past week. And at one point, we were on Interstate 75, maybe, going through Ohio. And there was downpour of rain and, like, wicked wind. Just, I mean, I was getting, like, thrown out of the lane, it felt like. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but we own a really big uh, van. It's a big, tall Nissan van, one of those, like, stretched this way and this way. I mean, it's huge. That thing was acting like a sail on I-75. It was terrifying. 
That's just a little like afternoon storm. These guys made it through days on days on days of, of rain and wind and flooding. And that whole time they're just holding on, trusting the Lord. We see Noah's faith because he just trusted God throughout. And see, when, when we trust God through the day-to-day storms of this life, we get to see the miracles that take place. Noah stepped out of that ark and saw a whole new world before him. A world remade, reformed. We have no clue what the earth looked like pre-flood. It was a whole new world. And he sees the promise of the rainbow and a God who saw him through the storm. That same God will see you and I through the storm by his grace. His grace is present. His grace will speak truth in our life. And his grace will empower us to get through the inevitable storms and floods of this life. Let's choose to have faith and embrace God's grace. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for incredible grace that saves, that rescues, that restores. God, I want to personally thank you for the times in my life when you save me from floods I've created or I've contributed to. God, thank you for, for saving me, for rescuing me by your grace from the darkness I've brought into my own life. God, I'm also thankful for the storms I've faced in this life that I I didn't want, I didn't ask for. God, if I'm honest, I've done the thing where I ran from you during some of those storms. I've shaken my fist in anger at you. Thank you, God, that your grace was present through it all because you're patient. Thank you, God, that you rescue us in the storm. Thank you that you warn us and prepare us for the storms of life. Jesus, thank you for the life that is in your word and in your presence to give us grace in the midst of this chaotic and dark world. God, would you help us to walk this out, that we would believe in and participate in your grace in our lives by choosing to trust you. God, we thank you that you're good. May we walk in grace this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.